0: Welcome. This is Perspective for Parents. My name is Nick Thompson, and this is a podcast for parents of adolescents. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope you all were able to listen to part one of the presentation, which was released on Sunday evening. If you have not, yet listen to part one, please go back and listen to part one of the presentation before listening to this episode. And a quick reminder, a link to the full presentation video is at the top of the show notes. So the topics of part two, or I should say this episode, the topics that will be covered are anxiety, what it is and how to manage it, ADHD and ADD, executive functioning, how youth can find sustainable happiness, how to give better compliments to our youth in the form of praising the process and complimenting character, the importance of positive parental modeling, what self-efficacy is and why it is more important than self-esteem, how understanding the four-step process of how youth learn will help you be a better parent, And the importance of letting our kids fail. So, if you have already listened to part one, thank you, and welcome back. Here is part two. Conditional love and praise results in conditions. I'll say that again. Conditional love and praise results in conditions. Those main conditions being anxiety and depression. There it is, anxiety. It's one of the main things people want to talk about. One of the main things students come in and talk to me about. I have anxiety, I have anxiety, I have anxiety. So I'm talking about anxiety. How much time do I have left? Plenty, right? How long? Okay. Here's, I share this with all my students. If you don't have this, print this out, please, for your kids. Here is a stress graph. Not all stress is bad. Stress has a bad name. There's good stress. It's called stress, E-U stress. But can turn into distress, which is bad. So I see students who move through this, and about this time of year, we're doing this. Late October, we start getting to that exhaustion. December, anxiety, panic, anger. Breakdown, And oftentimes students, when they get here, choose to go here. I'm done. I'm not going to try. School's stupid. I hate it. It's not worth it. No student I've ever met in any, and I've worked in a lot of different places, thinks school doesn't matter. Truly. they They create that storyline to justify the fact that they are not performing. But all of them think it's important. What's going on a lot now is people are thinking it's too important. So the relationship with it comes with this, the exhaustion, the anxiety, the panic. So it's not about going over here. It's about having our kids have more perspective. And a way to do that is remain balanced. Is it important? Yes. But it's not the end of the world. One of my students created this for me because I tried to find something on a Google images and nothing like this existed this is the amygdala which is the threat center of the brain Uh, it's like latin for almond looks like a little almond and it takes in the world around us through our five senses and when it thinks we're in danger it freaks out panics presses a bunch of buttons releases cortisol and hormones and adrenaline into our body to again prepare us for fight or flight does that make sense the amygdala now, why is that a big deal? So another buzz phrase this school year is this. Executive functions. One here has heard this phrase. Man alive. Can well, you come talk about executive functions? Think my kid needs an executive functioning coach? A lot of my kids have executive functioning coach. I was really intimidated by that for a while. I was like, you have an executive functioning coach? And I be like, what do they do? And they're usually like, yeah, come over and help me organize my backpack. I go, oh, Now, I know some great executive functioning coaches, but don't be intimidated by this phrase. It's all the stuff that parents have been doing forever. Like, did you put out your shoes for tomorrow? Pay attention. Can you put that away? It looks like it's a distraction. That's all executive function. It's organizing planning. It's sustaining effort. It's attention. It's regulating your mood, regulating your behavior, your working memory. So when that goes off, This isn't available. You can't use your executive functions when you're in a state of fight or flight. That thing there is in the middle of the brain, and the information gets there before it gets there. This is an older system and a quicker system. It hijacks the body. So maybe you have a student who's like, I studied for the test, I knew everything, but I couldn't remember it. Because this was going on And when this is going on This is not available Why is that up there? So I like to change the conversation about anxiety Anxiety gets a bad name We're always talking about how bad it is Our kids are so anxious Ah, I'm anxious We're all here because of anxiety Every single one of you We all descended from very anxious people Isn't that amazing? Think about it It's what kept us alive it was a good trait to have. The more anxious you were, the more likely you were to stay alive when things were very dangerous, very perilous. If you think about cavemen, like co- chilled out Cali bro, cool caveman, like just walking along. There's like a rustle in the bushes. He's like, it's probably nothing. It's like saber toothed tiger, like ain't that dude. His genes didn't get passed on. Now this caveman, like, what was that? Did you, did you hear that? That guy lived. You're a descendant of this guy. The guy who woke up in the middle of the night, the caveman who woke up in the middle of the night was like, baby, I don't think we have enough food. That guy lived. The guy was like, I think we're good, sweetie. I think we're good. I think we got enough for the winter. Let's chill out. That guy didn't live. It's why we're here. So, first off, we have to respect it. It's not just a bad thing. Now, oftentimes in modern-day society, that amygdalas fire in when it doesn't need to, when it's not a matter of life and death. But if you look at the situation through the eyes of a caveman, what am I doing right now? I'm standing by myself facing a group of people. Why would it make sense that my amygdala goes... Let's get out of here. Because if this happened, if 30,000 years ago, I was alone and facing this many people facing me, would that have been a good thing? No, I'm about to be killed. So while that's not going on right now, when I first got up here, that's what my body was saying. Get out of here. We're in danger. We're in danger. We're in danger. Our environments, our days are so foreign to our caveman ancestors that this system is firing. We're indoors all the time. We eat garbage. We're sedentary. We look at screens in these synthetic environments. No wonder our systems are like, ah! Can we go outside? The thing is, it's a false alarm. Where you get in trouble with anxiety is not the initial anxiety. It is when you become anxious about the anxiety it is the fear of the fear that gets us in trouble does that make sense do you know an emotion can only last in your body for 90 seconds an emotion can only last in your body for 90 seconds you're sitting there going that's not true i've been angry for years If you're feeling emotion for more than 90 seconds, the reason is, is that you're keeping that emotion going, that circuit open, with your thoughts. You're feeding it with your thoughts. Something happens, you get angry, and then you're like, yeah, yeah, and then she did that. Remember last week when she said that thing? And I don't think they showed up a month ago either and came up with some excuse. You're just keeping it going. So anxiety, the initial rush, 90 seconds, I'm going to feel it, remember? Because it's a feeling. That's such a beautiful reminder to me. When I'm having my pity party after work and I'm in my office and I think my stressors are really big and overwhelming, I'm just like, oh, I have this wonderful thing. Like, oh, you're doing this. You're making this. And if you don't want to feel this anymore, you can feel it for another 90 seconds or so and you won't be feeling it anymore. I love on my drive home and I'm very like, in my mind and catastrophizing my future and everything's so big and overwhelming. I drive home really late at night and I get to a stoplight and there'll be like a dude over here in his car alone too, just kind of looking off into the distance with a concerned face. And I have this great realization like, oh, he's doing it too. His life is super important too. And he's freaking out. That reminder, it's a false alarm. So just something quick, quick little tip for parents. You can share this with a kid. I use this on a daily basis. This activates the parasympathetic nervous system, the system that calms us down. Diem is the acronym I created, Latin for day, per diem, carpe diem. So you notice that you're feeling something. You take a deep breath in, through the nose for a count of four, hold the breath for a count of seven. While you're holding it, identify the emotion. Remember that name it to tame it. And then you exhale. For a count of eight, forcibly through your mouth. And afterwards, you give yourself a mantra. A mantra is a word or phrase that gives you a sense of peace, a sense of comfort. So for example, my most problematic, uncomfortable emotion right now is feeling overwhelmed. So when I'm feeling overwhelmed in my body, I breathe into it. For a count of four, I say, I'm experiencing feeling overwhelmed. I exhale for a count of eight. And I say to myself, small bites, Nikki, small bites. So when I was little, my grandpa would ask, How do you eat a whale, Nikki? I said, I don't know. Small bites, Nikki, small bites. So this takes about 15 seconds, and it really does de escalate me. There are three scientifically proven ways to calm down, to activate that parasympathetic nervous system within this 15 second exercise. It works. Again, breathe in for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight promise you. Okay. Any questions at this point as we got a half hour left or something? Any questions? Should I just keep going? I don't think we're going to get to the end of the presentation, but that's okay. I really hope that you all have questions. Oh, let me do this. Uh, You won't ask the question, but I'll know who in here would like, thinks that they'll ask a question. (laughs) Oh no, no questions. I'm going to challenge you take a healthy risk and ask a question because usually how these go is any questions and no one raises their hand and then after the presentation people line up and go so my daughter has a no ask the question everybody's going through it talk about ask about somebody else's kid right it's not your kid there's a neighbor kid that's got anxiety let's talk about them after that, who would take a healthy risk and ask a question? Cause otherwise I'll just keep going. No, but you don't have to ask a question now. You're going to ask a question? Yeah. What's your name? Richard. Richard. Thank you for that. Stepping into that discomfort and going, yup. Being the first. Anybody want to be inspired by Richard's bravery, courage? Yes, two. See what's going on? Go. Yeah. And then one after. No, no, breathe in for four, hold for seven. Exhale Exhale for eight. Forcibly out of the mouth. Keep your tongue behind the front two teeth while you do it. Just YouTube four, seven, eight breath. A guy with a great beard will walk you through it. (laughs) Dr. Wheel or whatever, he's awesome. And it works for a lot of things. If you can't fall asleep, do four rounds of that. You'll fall back asleep. Before you react to somebody when you're upset, do this. Before you give a presentation, do this. When you wake up in the morning, do this. It changes the physiology of your body. It's been shown to be, if you do this for four rounds twice a day for a couple months, it shows to be more effective than anti anxiety medication. You do four rounds of the four, seven, eight breath twice a day. Because what happens when we're anxious? How do we breathe? Shallow. So the best way to calm that little almond down is a deep breath. There's been a lot of wisdom in our parents over the years. They just didn't know the science. Take a deep breath. Now we know why. Flood that thing with oxygen, immediately turns it down a bit. Any other questions on that? Why is this up here? I want to share this. So, I've got ADHD, I've got anxiety, I've got whatever. Um, but the ADHD thing, I share this with my students all the time, and it really seems to uh, get them excited. I got excited when somebody shared it with me. That there's an argument, there's a theory, that maybe ADHD isn't a disorder, but it's a, it's a characteristic, it's a quality, it's a difference in wiring. 10, 15% of us have it? That's a lot of people who have a disorder. You may believe that. Whatever works best for you. But I, I, didn't, I didn't want to be diagnosed as ADHD, even though you've been watching me for whatever, and it's apparent. Um, so there's this theory, the, the hunter-farmer theory. Please look it up. It's fascinating. Hunter-farmer theory thinks that, uh, uh, theorizes that it isn't a disorder, that it's just different quality. Because remember, up until 10,000 years ago, we were hunter-gatherers. of pre-human and human existence has been in a hunter-gatherer role. So think about all the things that we call the symptoms of ADHD. Maybe I'm just a hunter. Let's think about this. What does a hunter need? The hunter needs to be able to have hyper-focus for short periods of time. I got that. Some of your kids got that. I have the gift of distractability. what was that now when a kid has a gift of distractibility in a classroom it doesn't go very well does it they're the one looking out the out the window somebody drops a pencil and they stare at the pencil they want to pick up the pencil themselves so they can twirl it maybe that's a hunter think about how valuable that would have been to your tribe you're the one who heard the twig break that was the rival tribe coming. You heard it. and woke everybody else up. ADHD kids have a sensitivity to their environment, high sensitivity through their senses. Again, this would benefit the hunter. Hunters have a time horizon of seconds and minutes. I live in seconds and minutes. When somebody starts saying, this will help five years from now. I'm like, what? I don't, what is that? I don't know five. So when in some of our conversations with our kids with attention issues, and we're like, if you, you know, if, you, if you finish strong, this will matter in like seven years when you graduate. They're like, what? <laughs> seven years, that's funny. Right? So those are the qualities of a hunter. Now think about what a farmer is. They need a, almost the a opposite set of skills, don't they? The ability to be still, take direction, sustain even energy output. Same thing day in, day out. Their time horizon is days, months, and years. Schools are set up for farmers. Farmers excel in schools. Now, as I tell my hunters, you still got to do school. So we got to reverse engineer some systems, some routines, so that you can do this farming thing. Because here's the deal man If you can figure out the farming thing And get in a career that you love Look out Because your creativity Your intensity How you take in the world How you connect the dots You're going to change the game In your career But you do have to figure out The farming of K through 12 So let's have a conversation about that It's both I'm I'm a psychotherapist I have raging ADHD You think that's not a very good thing to do I do it a little bit different And it seems that I'm adding something to a field Where there's so many farmers And the farmers are great But I get to bring my intensity, my, my creativity And really connect with other people Who have similar energy as I So if you have a young one Maybe there's just a few people here Like Introduce the hunter-farmer theory to your kids My kids love it Maybe I don't have a disorder Maybe I'm a hunter Yeah That laser focusing, I messed up the other night. I wanted to create this logo for this thing I'm doing. And I uh, downloaded this new software on my computer. I'm really into artistic endeavors. And I was like, I'll just take a peek at this new program. Just take a peek when I get home. Get home about 10.30 p.m. Eight straight hours. (laughs) It was a bad decision by me because it messed with my sleep. But the fact that I can go eight hours on that logo, that can separate me from a whole group of people when it comes to finding a career that I love. Does that make sense? Is there any questions on that? That's why I wanted to share that. Because so many of our kids are using their diagnosis as a reason, as an excuse, as justification to not partake or not try. Oh, I had this great thing in graduate school. I forgot to do a paper. I was turning it in to Carol Schneeweiss. I was like, Carol, I totally forgot to turn in the assignment. And here's the deal, Carol. I have adult ADHD which makes it very difficult for me to plan and organize and remember things so I haven't shared that with anybody but I just wanted to explain why I'll be turning in my assignment late she goes oh Nick thank you so much for sharing that with me I too have ADHD so I've had to create systems and routines in my life so that I can stay on a schedule I suggest you do the same and I was like yes I loved that that happened to me. The first time I tried to use it as a crutch, it was like, nope. Me too. We just got to create routines and schedules. That's how I get through my life. I got to exercise before I sit down in a chair every day. I'm like a yellow lab. If I don't run, I'm going to chew up your couch. I'll pee on the floor. I don't actually pee on the floor. That's too much. But that's how I am. So I share that with my students. Like, do you exercise? What are you eating in the morning? The, like an energy drink what or not eating i'm like no 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 no. so we got to go back to the basics the basics are the body gotta look at sleep gotta look at exercise we gotta look at nutrition that's the main medication for adhd and anxiety doesn't mean that kids can't take medication that can help but the main thing has got to be physical wellness through the body all right and now i don't know which part to do <sighs> okay i'm gonna talk about destinations and outcomes and how we talk about things check this out If I know everything about your life, everything about your external world, how much money you make, where you live, the house you live on, uh, live in, the vacations you go on, the boat you do not or do not have or don't or do have, I can predict 10% of your happiness. 10% of your happiness is dictated by all of those things. Isn't that amazing? 40% of your happiness is about how you view those things and intentional activities. And half of it is a genetic set point. Here's the beauty. Don't be scared by the genetic set point. You can change your genetic set point. Something called neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to change. So you can change your genetic set point. When is the brain most plastic or malleable in the prefrontal cortex where all those executive functions live? Adolescence, 10 to 26. That's when the clay is very wet. You can still change. My clay's like, yeah. Like it still change. We have something called the destination myth. We tell young people that they'll be happy when they get to the destination. I see this all the time. And it's destructive. It truly is. So I've got a prop. I question whether to do this or not. I'm just gonna go for it. This is happiness. See it. This is what our kids do. They'll come to us this week and say, "I'm miserable. I hate school. I hate life." And parents or school staff or other adults in their life will go, "Fall break's almost here." We toss it out. Like, "Oh, I don't know if I want to go to school, should I take honors classes, I'm falling behind, blah blah." So then they get to fall break. Are they happy the rest of their lives? No. In high school, in a couple months, it'll be, the school year's almost over. Oh, I don't like high school. Should I be in a club? I don't know if I want to be in a club. Should I ask her out? I don't know if I want to ask her out. I hate this. Now it's summer. Are they happy the rest of their life? No. If they're seniors and they're miserable, unhappy, unsatisfied with their life, who they are, what we go, Graduation's almost here. You're almost done. Done with what? A senior year, oh, should I go to college? Should I do the community college thing? Should I go to the school my dad wants me to go to? Should I not go to college? And they graduated. What's next for most students after high school graduation? College. Now I need to get into a good college. Do I want to go locally? No, what school should I go to? Should I go to my safety school? Mom really wants to... So now I'm, in, now I'm in college. Am I happy the rest of my life? No, I'm unhappy. And then somebody will say, you need to pick your major. Oh, what should I do? I'm interested in psychology, but can't make any money with that. That was my major, psychology. So it goes back and forth, and this is what we do to them. We like to say, yeah, it's okay that you're unhappy now. And we chuck out happiness over the cognitive horizon. And it's like college graduation, right? You graduate from college. Then what? Then what do you have to do after you graduate from college? Get a job. Oh, I suck at interviews. Where do I want to interview? Should I work for dad? I don't know if I want to. So now I have a job. Now what do I need to do? What's that? Work every day? Work every day? Yeah, Maybe. I get married. Oh, dating. Dating's so weird. Dating's so hard. So I do the Bumble thing, the Tinder thing online. All right, now I'm married. Am I happy the rest of my life? Some of you are sitting next to your significant other like, yeah. (laughs) So Totally. That's the one. That's where the happiness is. What's next? Kids. By the way, at high school, will not be named. I did this little exercise. It was so great. When I said, after the marriage, when I go, what's next? The kid yells, divorce. <laughs> it was so great. Kids, right? Do I want kids? I don't know. Now you have kids. And it goes back and forth and back and forth. And usually the last one that you throw out is retirement. And we do this for our kids in an early age. We can stop this pattern of you'll be happy. It's almost fall break. The weekend's almost here. You almost graduated. You're almost out of the house. Happiness isn't over there, right? We just showed it. At max, it can account for 10% of your happiness. So we have these kids reaching these destinations, arriving, having a momentary joy, and then feeling the same as they always did. And that's where a deep existential depression sits. Maybe I can't be happy. I thought the new car would do it. I thought once I got in the school, I thought once I got the job, I thought once I got the girl. So it's not, that's not what does it. It's not the externals. It's not graduation. It isn't. It's not getting the trophies. It's not money. By the way, do you know what the average GPA of American millionaires is? 2.9. And and you know what the percentage of American millionaires who consider themselves wealthy Okay, repeat that. The percentage of millionaires in America who consider themselves wealthy. 13% of them. Whatever metric you want to use, it isn't accurate. You want your kid to make a bunch of money so they can be happy. That doesn't work. That doesn't connect. Here's the house. Need great teeth, too. All of you. That's real happiness. Real quick, notice how homes are being built right now. It says a lot about our culture. In the 40s, 50s, and 60s, how were homes built? How were they oriented? Towards the street, towards your neighbors. How are homes built now? Back, there's like one window that you can see from the street. It's glass block, and it goes in like to a mudroom. The back just opens up. There's privacy fences and evergreens. Like You kind of see one neighbor. Could we do something about that? It says a lot about our disconnection. We're becoming more socially isolated. The square footage in our homes has exploded and the number of close relationships that adults have is dwindling. Retirement, it ain't there either. I used to sit in staff meetings and uh, I would hear people just like sighing and being like, five more years till 30 years of para. Like, whoa, I'm new here. Can you not? Yeah. So there's so much more. There's joy in learning. Positive psychology came up with this. There's seven different types of wellness. Happiness, positive emotions, engagement, being really into something. Relationships. What's the number one predictor of mental health, physical health, how long you live, and happiness? Positive relationships. Relationships, relationships, relationships. Meaning, believing in something, connecting with something bigger than you. That can be nature, animals, a group. Achievement can be part of it. Vitality, which is physical wellness, how we take care of our body. But yet we, we just live here. So we can show our kids that there's, that there's joy in engagement with learning, with volunteer, connecting, helping, contributing. I don't see much of this. And when I see kids volunteering, it's because they have to. It's for their IB hours. One kid said, I've got to get 50 hours of volunteering. I go, is it called volunteering if you have to do it? He goes, no, that's called community service. Yeah. Nature. Exercise. Nutrition. Although nobody's been that excited to eat a salad in their entire life. But (laughs) nutrition. Mindfulness. Connection. Relationships. 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 These are the conversations we can have with our kids. This is what's truly important. What can we do? Praise the process. Tell parents all the time, praise the process. What this means, instead of saying, great job on the test, you got 100%. Well done. Nice game last night. 24 points, 10 rebounds. Praise the process. What is the process? The process is effort, preparation, planning. That's what matters. Process is what matters. Does that make sense? got to share a story. I wish I had a ball. We got a basketball. When I was young and I'd be shooting hoops in my driveway, my dad would stand right underneath the hoop and watch me shoot baskets. And he would be looking at my form. He was not watching whether the ball went in or not. And it would confuse me. So I would shoot the ball and right when it came out of my hand, he'd go, nope. And sometimes it would go in. And I'd go, it went in, dad. He goes, I don't care if it goes in. Your form was off. And sometimes I would shoot. You go, perfect. And it didn't go in. Perfect. The ball didn't go in. I don't care where the ball goes in right now. It's about your form. A child's form is their process. The results will come. But our kids so oftentimes don't have the form. Because we're so focused on whether the ball goes in or not. There's a kid at a high school in, in, in uh, Boulder who got away with this senior quote. Cheaters never win, but I just graduated from high school. <laughs> I saw it. It's in a yearbook. So that's why we see so much cheating and, and parents stepping in and that, that SAT thing. Like People don't care about the process anymore. So in your, with your child, praise the process. Be curious about the process. When somebody says, I got 100% on my calc test, I go, Cool. How'd you do that? Are you just like super good at calc or did you like study really hard? I only care about the process. And they'll be like, no, like last time I didn't do so well, I was unhappy with that, so I studied a little more over the weekend, studied the day of, so I just put in more time. And I go, look at that. Good on you, man. You look, you switched up your process. That's where we need to be focused. Raising the process. Compliment character. When you see character in your kids, compliment it. Praise it. These are the best compliments. When you see creativity, curiosity, kindness, honesty, forgiveness, gratitude, humility, hope. When you see these things in your kid, praise them. Compliment them. Wow. You're really curious. I appreciate your honesty. I love how grateful you can be at times. Because guess what? If somebody tells me I'm creative and, and, and kind, nobody gets to take that away from me because I don't get graded on that at school. There isn't a gratitude class that grades in a portal that parents can check. Turns out you're not grateful, kid. This is why I don't tell kids they're smart. We tell kids usually when they're young, they're pretty and then they're smart. So it's, I'm smart, I'm smart, I'm smart. And then we create a system that tells them whether they're smart or not. So it's like, was mom lying? Got a C minus. She said I was smart. So I focus more on these than I do smart. And if you really are into academic outcomes, these have been shown to be the seven most important character strengths for all outcomes academic, professionally, happiness. Is grit. I don't use that word with students, they don't use it. I call it enthusiasm. And I've heard grit so oftentimes used by administrators talking negatively about students. These kids just need some grit. And I've never heard a student say, I just need to be a little more gritty. (laughs) No, but so I say enthusiasm, optimism, zest, I don't say that. Uh, Self-control, gratitude, curiosity, social intelligence. When you see these in your child, please stop and compliment them. Remember, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. One of my favorite quotes. It's always like, what do I say to my child? What should I say? It's not really much about what you say. It's about how you live. They're watching you as you live. So what do you want to live? What do you want to model for them? So most important thing that you do as a parent is model different characters, different qualities. A good life. And just so you know, the the further the space is between your life and your lecture, the more annoyed they will be with you. That's (laughs) called hypocrisy, and they can't stand it. How much time do I have left? I haven't got... Ten Ten minutes? All right. These are our kids nowadays. (laughs) Covered in bubble wrap. Our students need way more, you got this. Way more. You got this. And much less, be careful. We're telling them all that be careful, be careful, be careful. You go to school, be careful, you go to the party, be careful, you go to the game, be careful, you go to the mall, be careful. No wonder they're highly anxious. If you're at my house and you're visiting, you say, I need to use a restroom. And I say, it's out in the basement. And you're like, cool. And you start going down the basement. And I was like, be careful. (laughs) Okay. 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 You would be in that basement entirely differently. Why am I being careful in the basement? Why? What's going on? That's how our kids are walking around. And a lot of it has to do with our constant be carefuls. Doesn't mean you don't educate your kids on some dangers have conversations with them, but we're doing way too much of this. We're too focused on their self-esteem and not focused enough on their self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is their ability to believe that their own self, their own abilities are able to make outcomes. They're able to do things on their own. I put, I put this up here because I feel like, I don't know, I'm still workshopping this, so you tell me if it's awful. Um, I feel like going into adolescence is kind of like a zip line. Imagine if you were ziplining in Costa Rica and your, like, zipline guy was super freaked out and nervous. You've never been ziplining before. And, and, and the guy's like, oh, my God, this is, whoa, oh, we are really up here, aren't we? Wow, these are trees. We're attached to trees. Can I, can I check your buckle one more time? Are you buckled in? Are you sure you want to do this? Oh, my God. That's the experience of our young people. Think about what those guides do. They're relaxed, they're confident, they're optimistic. They check your buckle twice, not 20 times. Remember, calm is contagious. We put it so much on them. Why are these kids so anxious? Why are these kids so anxious? Social media play into it? Of course. The sleep play into it, of course. but it's a lot of our energy. Our kids are safe, but they are not sound. Our kids are safer than they've ever been, but they are not sound of mind. We've been telling them for a generation now that they're unbelievable, that they're special. And for really no reason, just you're special. I like you're special with understanding that everyone's special. But oftentimes that's not the message. It's you're special, more special than anybody else. So focus on self-esteem, but the self-esteem is empty without self-efficacy. The belief in one's capabilities to organize and execute the courses of action required to manage prospective situations. We know that self efficacy is way more important for young people than self-esteem. But yet we take away their ability to develop self efficacy Because we jump in, we save the day, we say no, we say be careful, we say I'll do it. We drive the assignment to school, we make the excuse, email the teacher. We're taking away their ability. A lot of bulldozer parents used to be uh, uh, helicopter parents who just hover above, give advice, and then when something would go wrong, they'd jump in. Now there's bulldozer parents who are like, you're not even going to encounter any of these difficulties, any of these challenges, any of these stress. And we think we're doing them a favor. We are not. We are taking away their ability to develop self-efficacy. I like this. A lot of this going on. This one really hits home with uh, school staff. Explain these grades, these bad grades, looking at the kid, and now explain these bad grades, looking at the teacher. <laughs> Julie Leithcott-Hames talks about four steps. Children learn, thing, learn things in a four-step process. Step one, you do it, they watch. Step two, you do it together. Step three, they do it, you watch. Step four, they do it, you don't watch. So with your kids, whatever the task is, always remember where you're at. And don't regress. If you're at step three, don't go to step two. Definitely don't go to step one. I had a parent at a school once come up to me and go, after a, a parent group, do you think I should allow my daughter to take that left off the highway into school? I said, Excuse me? Do you think I should allow my daughter to drive to school? I said, how old is your daughter? She goes, 18. I said, yes. Yes that's where it goes there's so much fear right and fear anxiety lives with what if questions what if what if she dies in a car accident so as long as you live in what ifs you'll always say no and then our kids won't develop self-efficacy resiliency grit so then comes failure our kids need to fail we're afraid for them to fail We think it'll be a permanent mark on the record or we'll have to feel something negative and we don't want to feel something negative. So we don't want them to fail. Failing is an event. It's temporary. It shows you stress your limits. It's an opportunity to learn. It's a mindset. It's not a mindset. It's not permanent. It doesn't mean that that you gave up. It's not the end of learning. We need to be introducing our kids to this. It's good to fail. We all need to fail. And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to get to it. That's what success is. This is... This is what you see on social media. This is what really it is. Read a biography. Read a biography. It's all this. Ever read a biography where it's like perfect family, grew up, kindergarten, wonderful, elementary school killed it. Middle school, awesome. Homecoming King, found a perfect job, found my dream girl. Like be the worst book ever. Everybody we care about fails. But yet we don't want our kids to fail. Ask anybody who succeeds, they'll tell you about the failures. Okay. Lobster lesson, this will be the thing that I uh, close with. Lobster lesson, I used to share this with every student that I worked with they, to the point where they'd be so annoyed by it, it became a joke. So here's the lobster lesson. I hope the video plays. It's by uh, Rabbi Twersky. He does it better than I can. It's a minute and a half. Let's
1: see. There's something I want to tell you about uh, the stress and how we have to look at stress, okay? And I think it's an important thing because uh, many people have told me from my lectures, it's the one thing they remember. Okay. I was sitting in a dentist's office and looked at an article that said, how do lobsters grow? Well, I don't care how lobsters grow, but I was interested in it. And it points out that a lobster is a soft, mushy animal that lives inside of a rigid shell. That rigid shell does not expand. Well, how can the lobster grow? Well, as the lobster grows, that shell becomes very confining. And the, the lobster feels itself under pressure and uncomfortable. It goes under a rock formation to protect itself from predatory fish, casts off the shell, and produces a new one. Well, eventually, that shell becomes very uncomfortable as it grows, right? Back under the rocks. Good. And the lobster repeats this numerous times. The stimulus for the lobster to be able to grow is that it feels uncomfortable. Right? Now, if lobsters had doctors... They would never grow, because as soon as the lobster feels uncomfortable, goes to the doctor, gets a Valium, gets a Percocet, feels fine, never gets off its shell. So I think that we have to realize is that we have to realize that times of stress are also times that are signals for growth. And if we use adversity properly, we can grow through adversity.
0: I love it. We're the same as lobsters. We need the discomfort in order to grow. The discomfort is where the growth is. In schools, we talk about growth mindset. But people love it because it says growth mindset. If it was accurate, it would say failure equals growth mindset. Wouldn't be as popular. This is something I shared this with. A, a woman did this, and I want to share what she does. Look at this. Look at what they do at their at their home. We're doing lobster dinners. I got five of these cheesy plastic lobsters, one for each member of the family, including my husband and I. Weekly we reserve the right to adjust the day to someone, uh, if someone needs to lobster up. The deal is everyone starts with a lobster at their play setting. And when it's their turn, they get to put a lobster in the basket in the middle of the table and talk about some challenge, stress, adversity that they're having in their past or now and how it's making them grow. We can change our conversations. Our kids must begin to see these challenges, these stressors as an opportunity for growth. They're terrified to fail. Please show them that this is what they need to do. And you can do that in your own life. We don't stop growing as soon as we become adults. They see a lot of that in adults. It's like, you don't challenge yourself. Where's your discomfort, dad? And your lazy boy? We need to show them too that we're continuing to challenge ourselves, be on our edge. Mother came up to me recently and said, I really took uh, took this to heart. She was from uh, uh, El Salvador. She had these two amazing kids and she's taking swimming lessons. She's 65 years old. She said, I want my boy's To see me trying something new Oh I just want to cry It's incredible We get to model that for our students It's not like it's adolescence Time to like freak out and do everything challenging And then you can be like me A ship is safe in harbor But that's not what ships are built for I think we can change that to A youth is safe in harbor But that's not what youth are built for If you want your adolescent to go through adolescence unscathed That would be an incredible disservice That's where the growth is. As my grandpa would say, the deeper the plow cuts, the taller the tree grows. So please allow your kids to fail. Be there with them. Conversate. Don't jump in. And I'll close with that. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, rate, review, and share with a friend. If you would like to find more information about this podcast or my upcoming presentations, please check out my website perspectiveforparents.com. Spelled out, that's perspective the number 4 parents.com. Thanks again.